Thank you, Laura. And I am the aforementioned Dave. And uh, it's good to see you. And Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year, right? All right. Okay, good. Trying to get in the spirit of things. We love, uh, we love things that are happy. We love to be happy. And I was just thinking about what is the, uh, the happiest place in the world? And I'm going to... There we go. There we go. All right. Perfect. Uh, when you think about the happiest place in the world, you think of... Disneyland. Disneyland. Until you stand for one hour in line, you got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, right? <laughs> it's not very happy when that moment occurs. But we, we love Disneyland. We love the uh, uh, thrill of going over there and, and being happy all the time. But I would like to propose that uh, Disneyland is perhaps not the happiest place in the world. I would prefer that Calvary Church, you and me, can you see yourself in this picture, that we would be the happiest place. Now, I know that some people will take a look, say, well, happy, you know, happy, it's, it's happen chance, it's, it's coincidental, and we're not always happy. We are not always happy. I'm not always happy. I can be in a bad mood like the worst of them, and uh, so life is not always happy. I was reminded of that just yesterday. I was riding my bicycle, uh, road bike, bike, bicycle, but out to Cook's Corner and back for a little exercise. And uh, as I was coming down the hill into Cook's Corner, which is a biker's bar, hamburger joint hangout place, and uh, as you go down the hill, you pick up pretty good speed on a bicycle, uh, but there was this man standing there right in the middle of the bike trail, if you will, the bike path. And uh, so I slowed down because he wasn't going to move. And last time I didn't avoid the person, I ended up in the hospital for three days. And so I slowed down and went just very, very slowly behind him. And uh, he turned to me and he said, bicyclists suck. And so I thought, well, it's nice to know where you stand. And so, uh, and he looked like somebody who hasn't changed since 1965. You know, he's got the big long ponytail thing. And, and I'm just basically jealous uh, of his hair. Uh, but uh, And then he walks across the road there, which is a pretty heavily trafficked road, and into the parking lot of Cook's Corner. And so I pulled around into the Cook's Corner parking lot there right where he was. And I said to him, well, Happy New Year's to you as well. <laughs> and I was trying to be happy because Christians are always happy, right? Aren't we always happy? Um, and uh, then he turned to me and he told me to do something that is anatomically impossible to do with myself. <laughs> and so I won't... And so I thought, I don't know, he kind of got up on the wrong side of the bed or something there, so he's kind of in a bad mood. And I simply, well, thank you very much, and I said to him. And so I realized, we're not always happy. We, we have our things. Even Cook's Corner is not the happiest place in the world. And so there are, there are those times in life where it just doesn't seem to come off, either someone's saying something nasty to me or, or some other terrible thing is happening. And so what we want to see is how can we as the church not necessarily be the happiest place in the world, but this kind of a place. In Acts chapter 2, where we want to look this morning, we find the church in its beginning, in its infancy. It is not just an embryo, it is a brand new baby that has been born. Acts 2 says this about that first century church, that day by day continuing with one mind the temple, breaking bread with, from house to house, they were taking their meals together, and here I love this description, with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. I don't know whether happy is the right word, but there was certainly a gladness, there was a joy, there was a sincerity of heart, there was a spirit of uplift and positive feel for God, for the community, and for all that God is wanting to do through them. I want us to be a church like that. So God's vision for the church is this. Give an outline, there were these points with lots of words. You won't remember them unless you have the outline to reference it later. But here is the point. The church. It's God's place where Jesus continues to overcome by turning people away from sin and toward righteousness. If I could sum up the church in its sum total, the core of who we are and what we're supposed to be, that's it. That's what the God causes the church to be. As it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Actually, it's 39 and 40. I put the wrong verses on there. But this is Peter's message. The Peter who betrayed Jesus in that little garden setting where Jesus is being uh, persecuted leading up to the crucifixion and several people come up to him. Don't you know Jesus? No, I never heard of him. Don't know him. Don't know him. Three times Jesus looks at him and he weeps when he feels conviction of the betrayal of Christ. That Peter is now Holy Spirit-filled, recommissioned, restored, transformed, and now he is the greatest preacher that has probably ever lived, and he's preaching his very first message. He hadn't gone to seminary. He he preaches his heart out about the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the people are feeling conviction over this message. It's powerful as God uses the Apostle Peter. And this is what he says. For the promises for you, for these Jewish people, and really people from other countries, the day of Pentecost, have all surrounded into the city of Jerusalem. He says, For this promise is for you, this redemptive work of Christ, and your children for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them. And this is what Peter would preach to them. Be saved from this perverse generation. The church is really summarized in a very literal way in those two lines that I underlined here. God will call to Himself. The church of people God calls. It's not who we phone call. It's not who we send a letter to. Those are okay things. But it's God's work to call people to Himself so that they are saved from something. They're saved from, as Peter calls it, this perverse generation. So the church's word is this. It's ecclesia in the Greek. The word church we get from ecclesia, meaning ek out, klesia to call. We are the called out ones. We are different. And so we could summarize it in this word. We are the called out of the world, a life of sin by God's grace, into His kingdom, the life in the church. We're called into become the church, be the church. We are different. We are not who we once were. God has transformed us. We shouldn't be doing the things we did 10 years ago because God is constantly working our lives to change us. So we are called out. We are distinct. The word sanctified that often is used of the church where God, through the Apostle Paul, calls us the sanctified ones. Sanctified is simply a fancy word that means different. I am different. Holy means different. I am not who I once was. I Now I am someone new. We're all new creations in Jesus, Paul says. So God is changing us. And one of the ways that we do that is through church. The church plants, for example. We want to plant more churches so more people are reached for the cause of Jesus Christ. And the reason we believe in church plants that we want to emphasize here at the, at the latter part of our service is that God uses new groups to attract new people. In fact, I love this little saying that I throw out a lot. Uh, new groups attract new people. 
And the more church plants we have around us, the more people are going to be drawn in. That God calls people to be saved from something, whatever that may be for them. We all got stuff, and God wants to save us from that stuff, primarily sin. And so here is the, the saying. When people are convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit, they're changed by Jesus Christ, and the church, we are here to show them how to live. We should be a, a, a sparkling example of what God does in people's lives. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we are progressing in a relationship that before it never existed. Here's what I love this, Acts 2.37. As Peter's preaching along, the people hear the Word of God in a way that any of us who ever preach would love to have this happen. It doesn't happen so often as what it happened in Peter's life. But here's what happened to them. Now when they heard this, these Jewish people and these people from other nations that have gathered together that are hearing others speak in their own language by the Spirit-given tongues that was translating this word to other language groups of people that are gathered there as well, when they heard this message of Jesus' crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and it was a predetermined plan of God that you crucified Him, He says to them, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? I love that question. When God convicts my heart that I need to change, what do I do? So what's the answer to the question? What shall we do? What should the church do? There's a lot of things that people say that the church should do. And they're good things. Should we build homes for those who have no homes? Well, that's a good thing. Should we feed those who are hungry? Absolutely, that's a good thing. Should we fight for justice of those who are unfairly harmed, human trafficking? Should we fight for that? Absolutely, those are good things. But when Peter is asked a very point-blank question by those who are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, what should we do? Those are not the things that Peter brings up first. Because those things a lot of secular organizations do. There's a lot of fine organizations that do those things. We should be part of it, but that's not the sum total, that's not the core, that's not the specific first thing that a church should be known for. What God has called you and me to do in answering that question is what Peter said. Here's what he said. Peter answered, Repent. Each of you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that doesn't hit, hit a lot of headlines. You're not going to get a lot of TV notoriety for that. There's not a lot of people that are drawn to that kind of a message in the world today unless the Spirit of God's doing something. But what God is most interested in for you and me as a church, and here's why we exist, and if we don't do this, we might as well close the doors. Because God has called you and me to bring that same message that Peter preached in our own language, in our own way about Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection to a world that, as, G as Peter calls it, perverse, whatever we want to call it today. We bring that message so that people can repent, so they can say, I've been wrong. I have violated God's holiness. I have not lived according to God's standards. And I want to change. And Peter says, here's what you do. You come, you get your sins forgiven, you reflect it through baptism, and you become part of this community where the Spirit of God 
joins you together in a community you've never been part of before. And that's what's happening here. We need to be a place of spiritual change and growth towards maturity in Christ. That's the first thing that Peter preaches. He says, this is what we should do. Other things we should do, we'll do later. But first of all, if I don't get this right, if I'm not right with God, it doesn't matter about all the good deeds I do. If all the good deeds I do simply makes life better for a lot of people on earth, but they never are transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus, and they're still living a life that is very far from the holiness of God and has no access to heaven, then what good was the betterness of life on this earth if they're not going to have a right, right relationship with Jesus? If they're not called out of sin and into His righteousness, then what good does it do if we simply do good? Because if that's all that they ever end up with, we've done them a disservice. So we go back to this core conviction that we are here to bring a place where spiritual change can grow and develop. We're imperfect people. We'll still mess up. But Jesus is still transforming us to be more like Him. Here's what Luke wrote in Acts 2. So then those who had received this word of His, of Peter's word, to repent, be forgiven, be right with Jesus, let the Spirit of God fill you, he says that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Let me just stop there. He received his word, were baptized. Baptism a whole lot more powerful than that day than today. It's hard for adults to get up here in the big dunk tank that we got up here and be baptized. Very nerve-wracking. Oh, I, don't get any, I was baptized as an infant. Why do I? Well, here is what Peter is seeing and experiencing with these people. And this is what was happening in those days. For a Jewish person, to listen to a Jewish preacher named Peter preach about a Jewish Messiah who was Jesus and that this Jewish Messiah that was crucified by Roman soldiers and some of the Pharisees of the Jewish people and for Peter to say it was God's predetermined plan but you convicted him you were the one who crucified him they were convicted of that sin and they said okay we admit that we were wrong we want to be a follower of his what should we do repent of that sin he will forgive you now and now I'm going to be baptized as a public demonstration that I'm a different person I'm called out of that past life called into this new life and that's what Peter is seeing him and this baptism for these Jewish people that's indicating to their own family I'm turning my back on what you raised me to believe in I'm going with Jesus and there might have been moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that are shunning them now for their refusal to follow the Judaistic way of the Old Testament Torah and they are still looking for the Messiah. They would have been rebuffed. And what happens to a lot of these people who are baptized in that day, even as it would happen to today over there, is that they're cut off from their family. They're cut off from the welfare system. They're cut off from the support of others who would come around them. And they become alienated and isolated from those people that they love the most. They've given up everything to be publicly displaying, I believe 
in Jesus. That's astounding, astounding thing that happened to these people's lives. So Peter is seeing this played out. And says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're being fed by God's Word to fellowship. They're breaking bread together in relationships that they never had before. Suddenly those people who live next door to each other in the same community of Jerusalem, they're becoming brothers and sisters in a spiritual community that is transforming their lives as they pray together. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. This is a miracle that is taking place. This isn't just a brand new better Kiwanis club or a Rotary club or some of these fine organizations that are out there doing good things for good people. These are people that are dramatically changed from called out of sin and into righteousness lifestyle. And they're reflecting it in the way they're living their lives now. And they're public. They're, they're going on the record. They're being publicly. 3,000 people being baptized. Just astounding. And so this change takes place, and Peter uh, is uh, reminding us that they had the apostles' teaching. Luke writes that for us, and then Paul writes to Timothy, who was one of the young pastors of a brand new church in Ephesus, a church plant, as they planted this church in what is part of Turkey today. And Paul writes to him and says, This is what you need to be doing as a church. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. Don't pick on little picky-uni opinion-based, I believe this, or I think that, or I feel this. No. Here's what I want you to do. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Bring them the truth. Don't say, I think, I feel, my opinion is. Say, here's what God says. It's not popular. Some of the stuff I'm going to share today, it's not popular. It doesn't go over out in many people's lives that might hear this or hear part of it or sort of tune in and out. But say, here's what God says. Because if I don't preach it, if you don't preach it, if we don't share God's Word, it's not going to be done. It's the church that does that. No one else will do that. And so bring the Word accurately to people's lives. But avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. Don't get off on some fringe issue that has no essence in the Scriptures preach the word. And so the challenge is this. As we want to be the church that makes a difference, here is the uphill battle we're facing. Statistically, we have discovered that in 1990, 30% of the population would go to some church. Well, today, 43% are unchurched. 43, I should have said that backwards. 30% unchurched, now 43% are unchurched. We also see that those who have never attended church grew from 15% to 23% in the last 20 years. Not a good trend. We also recognize that those who would self-describe as a regular church attender used to be three to four Sundays. I was a little kid, three to four Sundays, man, you're there every day, Wednesday night, Sunday night. You're there. That's what you do. Today, those who are self-described regular church attenders are those who are making it maybe once, maybe twice a month. That's in terms of worship experiences. Those are not positive trends. We are going against the grain. We are not, in a sense of growth, impacting communities as much as we'd like. But here's the one statistic that I read that I was encouraged by. If you evaluate those who are living in a surrounding community of a church, just 7% have a negative image of that church in their community. There might have been some no votes, but at least 90% have a positive view 
of a church in their community making a difference. So when God gets a hold of a pe- people's lives like you and me, things begin to change. Priorities begin to change. The difference that Jesus should be making is becoming visible. So it's a place of spiritual growth by the Word of God, the fellowship of the people, the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer. And what happens is this, the second thing. We become a place where we're reaching out in love and grace and we're sharing generously with anyone who has a need. There was a tremendous change that began to take place in these people's lives. They're doing things they never thought they would do before. Here is what he says in Acts chapter 2. Luke writes this, And all those who had believed, they become followers of Jesus. They've been baptized. They're publicly displaying, I am now following the Messiah, Jesus. He is my Messiah. He is my Savior. And so they believed that. They were all together, had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. This is a tremendous transformation that is changing their hearts and it's changing their wallets. It's changing their priorities of giving. They didn't have a Dave Ramsey seminar back then. We're having one coming up in another week. That's a good thing. We encourage you to go. But they were changed so much, they didn't need somebody marketing stewardship. They just said, I just, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with the privilege to give. They weren't coming to church and saying, oh, all they do is want my money. They were coming to church and saying, how can I give more? So it says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. There's tremendous change that's taking place. Now here's kind of an example of what can happen. I'm intrigued by this. Last Two days ago I was reading through an online website and they cited this Instagram account. And it shows this guy who in this case was in Indiana and he has this Instagram account called Tips for Jesus. Well, the one that I read about is what he was in a bar in the Phoenix area, I think it was. And he had a bill for, I don't know, like 900 bucks for this bar. But then he left a tip for $1,000. Then he went out. Then he went back in and he left another tip for $10,000 for the bartender. This on the screen that you might be able to make out is to Ashley in a place called Legends of Notre Dame. And uh, his bill there was $368.66. And he left Ashley a tip of $5 thousand dollars and he puts on his website this and I don't know who this guy is but I hope he comes to our church someday (laughs) it says tips for Jesus doing the Lord's work one tip at a time now I would typically say I didn't mean that I would (laughs) normally say you know when you come to church and you give in the offering don't just tip Jesus but if this is what you mean by tipping Jesus, go for it. Be a good tipper. But the, the attitude that I like about this guy, whether he's, a, you know, who he, whoever he happens to be, but whatever he says here, I like. But I like the attitude. It's this. When I give to a bartender or to a waitress, whatever I give, I'm doing it for the Lord's work. I like the concept that when I give, because of guilt, not because I have to, or what am I having to give up, and some of this begrudging thing that Paul says, don't do that. Just don't give, you have begrudgingly do it. But I give because it's God's called me to do it. I love doing that. That's what changed in the church. One of the first things that changed was how their stewardship was handled. 
And one of the things we're trying to do in Albania is the same thing. We're trying to model what's happening in Albania. In Albania, a number of us were back there in Lushni, Albania. And uh, that church that we're partnering up with, Way of Peace Church, is planting churches around them in Lushnia, this very atheistic, agnostic, poor country. And I was there along with a number of us from Calvary Church, and you see me there, um, the white-haired guy in the middle of the screen. And to my, or to your left, is this young lady by the name of Sabrina. Sabrina was our interpreter. She's a lovely Christian young girl. She's about 18, 19 years old. And I told Sabrina, Sabrina, I'd love you to come to Biola University someday. And she lit up. You mean that, that might happen? I don't know. <laughs> but I'd love for it to happen. And so we've been communicating. She sent me this picture just this last week. And we've been communicating. And I said, well, just apply. So she's applied. She's been accepted. She's got all these scholarships. And I'm trying to do what I can to help raise the rest of the funds that she can go to Biola next September. Because she says, I want to get trained. I want to have God's Word. I want to understand what I should do so I can go back to Albania after four years of college education and be able to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and help my country that desperately needs Jesus. So pray for Sabrina. I would love for her to come and have that opportunity to grow and go back and make even a stronger impact in the church that we're partnering with. Pastor Bertie is on the, on the right-hand side there in the red shirt. He is the pastor of that church. He's been here uh, before. And one of the things that they're doing out there is they're reaching into this little village that's right outside of Lushnia. And these are some of the folks that we met with and interacted with. You see my wife being embraced by one of the Albanian women that is there in the middle of the screen. And there's this tremendous resurgence of God's work reaching into this community with the idea of planting a church. One of the things they did is they took this woman, and you can see her home, what used to be her home, which is nothing. We wouldn't have this in our backyard to put our lawnmower in it, is what she was living in, with absolutely no electricity, no running water. It was just a couple of walls and this broken-down roof that was ready to collapse at any moment. Well, Pastor Birdie and his church and some other teams of people went over there, built her a home provided a place for her to live. And these other surrounding areas are seeing this, and they're hoping to start a church in that home right there so that other people can be reached for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so we are all over that. We're supporting them. Our Thanksgiving offering is going to support this church so they can have a vehicle to help people get around because Pastor Bertie is the only one in that church that has a vehicle. Everybody else walks wherever they go. And so as a result of doing good deeds like that, where we're growing spiritually... We're sharing generously. Thirdly, we're a place where people connect with God and others so that they can be saved. We want to pe see people saved. We want to see more people called out and into Jesus Christ. Become part of that body. Here's what happens. And day by day they were continuing with one mind in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They loved one another. They loved to be with one another. And here is what I love about what happened. They praised God and they were having favor with all the people. The people in the community didn't look negatively on them like these ne'er-do-well, you know, right extremists who are always criticizing and judging and condemning other people. No. They saw this group of people as someone they wanted to be part of. They saw them with 
favor, have favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. It was an automatic pilot. It wasn't some trumped up evangelism program. It was simply people being who they are in Jesus and letting people see the change that Jesus makes and the healing and the grace that fills their lives. And they were saying, man, I want to be part of that. When the church is doing what the church is called to do, we become someone different. We're spiritually growing, we're sharing generously, and we're seeing lives being saved as God calls them out of sin and into righteousness. That's powerful. Let me, let me share one story. This 2014 was uh, a great story year, and this was the number, one of the number one stories that came out in a Christian community as well. I want to share what this woman, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield is her name. And she wrote an article on the difference that God has made in her life. But she titles this article in this way. These are her words, not mine. As a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then somehow I became one. Her story is this. She uh, lives with another partner, a lesbian woman. They live together and they would always fight for morality. They fought against AIDS. Uh, they were part of uh, a golden retriever rescue program. Uh, they would go out and, and fight for justice uh, for those who are being downtrodden and part of the gay, bisexual, lesbian, transgender community and would fight for them and all those good things. And she was having a, just a, a great time of pursuing that. And then she said, I got really turned off on people like you and me because she heard Pat Robertson get on the television and say the problem with feminism is it's causing women to leave their husbands, kill their babies, and enter into witchcraft and destroy capitalism. She said, that's what I heard Pat Robertson say. And I'd be turned off by the church if I thought that's all we're all about as well. And so she was. And then she began to write a book. She wanted to write a book on people like you and me. And she says, I want to write... So she wrote an article in the newspaper to begin with. And she says, I want to write against the unholy trinity. She said, here's the unholy trinity in her view. The unholy trinity, she said, is Jesus, Republicans, and the local church. And so she wrote this diatribe against those things. And then she got the normal reaction. She got a lot of hate mail. So she said, I had a hate mail pouch and I had a fan mail pouch. And so we started sort of collecting all the hate mail and all the fan mail. And then she says, I got one other letter that I really caught my attention. It came from a fellow by the name of Ken Smith. Ken Smith is the pastor back there in New York where she was of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. And Ken wrote her and just asked questions. Rosaria, I'd like to know, what do you base your presuppositions on? How did you come to this conclusion? And why did you reach that conclusion? She said, I'd just like to learn more about where you're coming from. And she crumpled that up and threw it away, she said. And then the next thing I knew, I was pulling it out of the trash can the next day and reread it, and I contacted him. So she contacted Ken and Ken's wife, Floyd. And she said, that began a two-year relationship. And for two years, we began to engage with one another. And here's what she describes about that relationship as she, she and Ken and Floyd began to spend time together. Let me read how she describes it. Something else happened. Ken and his wife Floyd 
and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I'd never heard someone pray before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his own sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy but firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew I was in safe hands. And she said, if I'm going to have a negative impact upon people like you and me, she said, there's one thing I've got to do that I've never done before, but I'm going to do it anyways. And she said, I'm going to have to read the Bible. So she began reading through the Bible. And the more she read it, the more change began to occur. So much change occurred that she had a transgender friend who came to her, she said, and said, Rosaria, the more you read that Bible, the more I see you changing. It's amazing. And so she one day felt some prick at her heart that she should go to church. And so she wanted to go to Ken Smith's church, the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Syracuse. And so she, gets, she, she self-describes, she says, I got out of bed of my lesbian partner and went to that church and sat in those pews. I looked very different, she said, but they welcomed me. And I heard Ken preach a message. And one of the things that Ken said, she said, was that what you need to do is to ask God for a willingness to believe and obey. He didn't tell me to go believe and obey. He said, ask God for a willingness to do that. She said, that stuck with me. So in the next few days, I began to pray, God, give me a willingness if that's what you're all about. And then she said, God began to work. And here's how she said, she says, I fought with everything I had for what God was doing. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. I counted the cost. And I did not like the math on the other side of the equal sign if I had to surrender to Jesus Christ. But eventually that happened. And when she finally did make that surrender, here's how she describes what God did. Not what Ken did, not what Floyd did, but how God used Ken and Floyd in that church. Then one ordinary day I came to Jesus. Open-handed and naked in this world war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. And I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved. But the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my heart. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, He could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately, of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace. Then community and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. I have not forgotten the blood Jesus surrendered for my life. She was changed. She was called out into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because a pastor and his wife and a church family stepped up and loved her, went to her world, entered her life, and she was drawn into God's life. Right today, 
She's the wife of a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Durham, North Carolina. God has so dramatically changed her life. It wasn't because of some picketing sign at a gay pride parade. It was because a church community that said, I'm here to show the difference that Jesus made in my life and maybe He can make a difference in your life if you'd be willing to trust in Him. That's who we want to be. We want more stories like Rosaria right here in Orange County where lives are being changed by God's power, not by ours. Let me pray. Father God, we're called to do something that is impossible for us to do. Lord, this thing about the church and the transformation of lives, clever programs, special public relations events, God, all the tips and techniques, we, we do them for your glory. We do them for making a difference in people's lives. But God, therefore not, nothing, if your spirit is not touching our lives and the lives of those around us. Father, all that we do, we do it for your glory, that you would help us to be people who are changed in such a way that others notice that we are different. And we have favor with them so that you can make a difference in their lives as well. Help us, Father, to be faithful as the church, called out of sin and into a new life with you. Let us be that church today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.